This episode is sponsored by O2. Check out o2.co.uk for details of O2 Refresh, the tariff that lets you get the latest phone whenever you want. Hello and welcome to the 361 Degrees Podcast, Season 6, Episode 5. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ray Blanford from the All About Sites. I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Uh, Ray Blanford, are you there? I am indeed. Now, it's an unusual one this week because rarely and on, on occasion we, we haven't all managed to get into the room at 361 Towers in the uh, in the high-quality professional recording studio that we definitely always use. Mm, is that we're live? So we are on the interwebs this week, mm. record, recording over Skype. Uh, and, uh, well, it, uh, it's always a challenge, but uh, we, we, we do our best and use all our magic tricks to try and make it sound a little less like arse than it would otherwise. So... <laughs> um, did you say arse? I did say arse. I um, thought we were not allowed to use that language. Uh, I, I meant like a donkey. Because that guy was listening to it, a I, podcast I'm, for the I, children, and I was being naughty on it. I meant ass, like a donkey. Right. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, uh, things of the week this week. Um, mm. You and McLeod. Uh, you oh, see, the thing is, you can't take the visual cue from me looking at you across the desk. Like, for No, but I can feel on. it. I can feel can... your production eyes boring down at me <laughs> my boring production eyes i knew you were coming to me you see that's it and rafe knew that you weren't that's how good you are that's it we're that good so okay. get on with it mcleod right so my thing of the week is whatsapp and that's because i am no longer using sms now i'm quite happy to re- receive sms from the ocado driver or um you know the the local hairdresser or whatever um that's fine but you're you're so middle you're so middle class, the Ocado <laughs> driver or any of the other functionaries who, who service my life. Right. Upper middle nah. class. Uh, thank you, Blanford. If you're middle class um, you shop in Sainsbury's. I see. Is that it? Is that how it works? Mm, pray so. What if you what if you shop in Tesco but always buy finest? Well, I don't know about that. I'm not really an expert on supermarket strategies and this, what it means about your social status. This, this, okay. this has descended rapidly into a niche UK eyes. No, I think you'll, I think you'll find it's 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 entertaining for the four people that live in the UK that listen to the podcast. <laughs> See, all all three of the UK based listeners and the people that they subject it to, yeah, the children who can't get up and leave because they're strapped in the uh, the car. Do, I, seriously, do people actually listen to this in the car? I think that's I, pretty impressive. I think so. I, I I certainly need to start a podcast in the car. Anyway, so right, um, so my you, point is. WhatsApp. I, I'm using WhatsApp now because it seems to be far more effective because I'm primarily using an iPhone. iPhone still has not got their SMS client, the iMessage thing, to work properly. If it doesn't have a data connection, I get this idiot message saying, couldn't send the message. So I have to go back to it to see if a message sent. Even in my BlackBerry, it just queues a message says, wait, 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 sent when it gets signal. The iPhone can't seem to handle that. But no time for this, so I, I much prefer WhatsApp. So as long as I've got a data connection, WhatsApp very clearly tells me you're online and that person has received the message, job done. So I don't use text anymore. I just use it for uh, my mother. Um, and for, as I say, the Ocala driver, etc., etc. Oh, there we go. Yes, well, certainly my, my, my mother has discovered uh, WhatsApp and uh, is an enthusiastic user on, a, on account that it gives her more space to put in the 1,800 emoticons that need to go into every text message exchange. That's the rule. She's discovered that button. 
And there you go. So uh, don't 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 text you and McLeod is the uh, the outcome of that one. Uh, Rafe Blanford. Well, I want to talk about mobile phone boxes because I saw an interesting bit of data that mobile phone boxes. Well, I should say telephone boxes, not mobile phone boxes, which just goes to show I haven't got my brain in the right gear at the moment. A bit of data from an EE survey that says that 80% of people haven't used a phone box. And this is, we're talking red telephone boxes. That's that's one of the stereotypes of the UK in the last five years. And in fact, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, 50% of them have never used a phone box, which I find all a bit horrifying because I have many happy memories of making phone calls from phone boxes. So a question to... uh, (laughs) I'll start with Ben. When when did you last use a phone box for A, making a phone call, and B, for something else? And can we keep it clean, please? I was going to say, for anything else. You mean for for falling asleep, sheltering from rain? Uh, Uh, That's what I was thinking of, yes. Yeah, there are are some less savoury purposes. So... um, I, I honestly can't remember. I think the the last. I honestly can't re- remember having make making a, a a phone call in a phone box. You know, since I was a child, and even then, to be honest, I, actually, I, I'd say the last time I used a, a public payphone, I would have been at university, probably in my first year of university. So where are we? Oh my mid- did you not? Have, did you not have a mobile phone at university? I did. Like yeah, no, I, I, or something. <laughs> I did. I did. I think I got. I got one. I got it. I got got it during that year. So in those right. first couple of weeks, because uh, it was just about the time where phones were becoming affordable as well. So mid nineties, I would have said easily. And how about you, Ewan? Uh, right, that I can remember precisely. Well, not the exact the exact time. I think it was about sixteen. And I had uh, I was in London for something. I think I was doing some work. I came back and I had to use my BT calling card uh, to phone my mother to say, "Could you pick me up from the station?" Uh, and that's I used my calling card a lot to phone home. In fact, I think it only went home actually. Um, and that's before mobiles were you know, easily accessible. And I used a calling card at Billericay Station. Uh, um, in the phone box and I have no happy memories Blanford what happy memories have you got I want to know in detail well I've actually shocked at your use of mobile phone boxes no wonder they're disappearing from the UK telephone telephone boxes telephone boxes I've done it again haven't I well it obviously shows that you two never go into rural areas where there's no mobile phone signal because when you're out walking and you need to phone someone to come and pick you up or call for a taxi or find out when the bus is due red telephone box that you read its location off an ordnance survey map is absolutely vital and i use one over the summer for that very purpose but i did get in it and pull out my phone go oh no signal and go hmm i haven't got any money on me put my credit card in that didn't work either so then i had to do what you and did and use a bt charge card call uh, 144 and then remember from memory from about five years ago the the number i needed to dial to get it all to work and i couldn't believe it when i actually remembered and uh, was able to make it all work have you still got a bt charge card i know it's well i I was surprised it worked too because i last used it 10 years ago probably again when i was at university or something like that as a poor student uh, but it just kind of struck me as interesting. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that the numbers are that low. In fact, it kind of surprised me it was that many people who used one in the last five years. I, I, I think change. The, I think it's, yes. The important clarification is for what, because I have to say most of the phone boxes around 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 where around where I was seem to be used as public conveniences more than uh, more than actual phone boxes. So I, I wouldn't be. Uh, uh, it, it's tragic because obviously most. Ben doesn't live in the right area because round here got the uh, local parish councils adopting phone boxes and turning them into little bookshops or 
flower gardens. It's all very civilised. That's it, cause, a cause, bookshop. That's it, because um, for, for any overseas listeners, Rafe effectively lives in Downton Abbey. So, uh, <laughs> that's that's, a good, that's totally a good, untrue. Yeah. That's a good uh, Blandford estate, basically. The Blanford, it, is the, uh, it is the story of the Blandford estate, isn't it? Then. Yeah, indeed. Um, so my thing of the week this week is, um, is Three Like Home has gone to America. And mm-hmm. you, you can all thank me very much because I think well if done. you listen to uh, if you listen to the last episode, what was it that I said in the last episode? It needed to launch in the US. And can I say, Ben, I'm really impressed that three have been able to get this out the door in less than a week. It's amazingly I efficient. I know, and I was a bit slow Responsive. publishing last week's podcast. It didn't really go out till midweek, so um, that that three really have done a stonking job. I think they announced it within about twelve hours of the podcast being publicly available, and about sort of uh, I don't know forty eight fifty six hours hours from me saying it so sterling work from the guys at three who are clearly listening very closely to the podcast but <laughs> what what i uh, joking aside and and i use the term joking quite loosely um what really impressed me was that they didn't do what i thought they had done when i first read the news release which is in uh, in europe three offer a, an unlimited pay you know, pay five pounds a day for unlimited data, and it's a kind of a a discounted roaming tariff. And I thought that was pretty good value. And other operators offer offer slightly different tariffs, but I thought that was pretty good value. But actually, the the USA tariff that they've offered is um, is the included in your bundle. So they're not even going to charge you the five a day that they would if you were travelling, uh, you know, to France or Germany or somewhere like that. So that is exceptional, considering that for European. Uh, roamers traveling to the US has always been one of the most expensive white expensive types of roaming for for frequently visited destinations uh, so that was just absolutely exceptional I can't for the life of me work out how they've done it how they're making the commercials work or how they expect it to pay off because I imagine quite a lot of th- well three doesn't have a big business customer base do they but yeah it, it's fantastic news and um you know obviously uh, i'll take all of the credit for um not just coming up with the idea but announcing it just a few hours before it happened it's worthwhile getting a contract isn't it well i already have one actually i mean yeah, like, yeah likewise i i already have you got one i don't have one with three but it's very tempting to to get one for that reason alone because as you say it was five or ten pounds a megabyte and, you know, you only need to go to the States, you know, once for it to almost be worth uh, taking out a SIM-only contract. Oh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I, I travel to the, the States a few times a year, but even if I was just going one, for a one-week holiday, with that factored in with the, the affordable European roaming and all the other three, like, home destinations, because they've, they've added Macau and Sri Lanka and some other places, which I, I assume for UK uh, listeners wouldn't be frequent destinations although i know there are kind of you know big population big expats populations of, of for example sri lankans in the uk so maybe they're going home to see family or whatever but whatever they've done it and however they've done it it's blinking impressive and i'm very yeah. happy indeed so what are we talking about this week gentlemen Silence. Uh, you know why there's silence? Because I'm the only one who knows the answer to that question. Well done, Ben. <laughs> Top producing. Um, so uh, this this week, just enjoy the ride, lads. You're, you're, I'll be back to you in a minute. Um, well, are you going to cut this out? No. No, this is all staying. This is, I see, staying. I, I this don't is know. gold. I, I don't know if you, this is the problem. That's the thing. You say that, then then nothing makes it into the live episode. Well, you see, the thing is, uh, when when, you, when Rafe Blanford bangs on for 20 minutes about you know his favourite flavour, Nokia or something, I have to cut that out because otherwise you know, it goes over the, uh, the the 35 limit minute limit, which uh, we never actually managed to reach. Anyways, I listened to the episode last week and there was no mention of Blanford talking about his butler. 
exactly. I know. Well, all that's all that's hit the uh, the editing room floor for the for the special montage end of season too hot for TV special. Um, so uh, we asked for we asked for input, and um, boy, did we receive it! So thank you very much. We have received loads of emails, tweets, comments, um, Facebook things. Somebody went on a Google Plus. Don't don't encourage them. Um, and Ian Wallace got in touch. Uh, a long long time listener, a friend first of time the caller. show, friend first time caller. And um, Ian uh, actually went beyond just making a comment. He suggested an, a topic for an entire show, and we liked it so much that well, we're going to use it. So uh, here's Ian. Guys, love the show. It makes me think, and I like thinking. Your mention of LinkedIn's intro service made me think. What is the best worst idea in mobile? That thing that was maybe not a bad idea, but implemented horribly, or a great implementation of a horrible idea. I'll kick you off with 3G and laptops. It's a great idea, but why don't we have it everywhere yet? Okay, it's in a few laptops, but it's rare. Despite getting 3G and even a £30 phone, it's not in my hugely expensive laptop. And yet every time I'm working out the office, invariably there'll be the faff of Can I get on your Wi-Fi here? What's the password? Etc, etc. So talk about that, or better yet, tell me about your own best worst idea in mobile. So chaps, and I think because Ian uh, has managed to come up with a topic for a whole episode, mm. we are going to give him this week's sponsor's prize. That's the lovely people from O2 have given us an H- uh, given us some HTC ones to give away. We've already given one away. Uh, congratulations to Ian, because we're going to send you this, uh, the two number two of four, because that was jolly good. Thank you for your question. So um, now we've finished all the exciting giving away things. Let's think what is our best worst idea uh we had a bit of a chat about this before the old episode kicked off because we're nothing if not only ever so slightly prepared i mean that's the best 15 minutes you can do for an episode isn't it (laughs) so um we're each going to come up with an idea and you and mcleod you get to go first what's the best worst idea in mobile can i just compliment the uh the, the scottish accent there my scottish accent no no ian's i thought that was lovely oh there we go well, very nice to hear a good proper Scottish accent. Uh, right, so actually, I'm I'm going to take uh, take his points and expand on them to non-phone hardware. This has disappointed me. Uh, so the best worst idea in this regard, meaning there's a lot that could could have been done with non-phone hardware. So your standard hardware like laptops, uh, anything that you buy in PC world basically could and arguably should have an integrated SIM card. But because the mobile network operators, for various different, I think, silly reasons, have really shied away from anything that would allow some kind of software-controlled SIM card um, technology, um, i.e. the ability for you to go to PC World, buy a laptop, switch it on, and for it to say, look, who would you like connection with? remember when you bought a modem or you bought a pc with a modem in it they'd get um you get a choice you get um you might have bt or world online from years ago or aol all all the cds that used to get bundled in the pack where you yeah yeah and it would be a different phone number basically because you dial a different phone number and then you'd have a different supplier yeah right exactly so what i would have loved to have seen um and this does happen now and again but even today if you buy a a chromebook you can choose to buy the Chromebook that doesn't have a 3G model in, module in it or a Chromebook that does. But then, effectively, you typically, with most of these services, you have to go and buy a SIM card. 
or they may supply you a SIM card, but then it's a bit of an arse sorting it out. It's it's a bit of an arse, a massive. Oh, I should be saying ass, shouldn't I? Ass. Um, it's, a, it's an ass. Now, I would have loved to have seen one of the operators at some point uh, gone to the likes of Dell and said, look, every laptop you ship, every laptop in the UK, in Europe, um, a la Kindle, by the way, a la Amazon, um, every laptop, we'll, just, we'll, we'll put a SIM in it. Um, it'll be, that's at least one operator. Can I, can I, can I just yeah. stop, stop you there? Thank you. Yes. Oh, I was just enjoying the silence. Um, no, because I, I hadn't heard quite so much hot air for so long. Honestly, what a load of rubble rubbish. Um, I, I, I do no, I, I do I do agree with you in part. But let me just tell you about my experience, which is I have a Dell laptop mm-hmm. with a built-in uh, 3G modem. Yeah. Uh, you know, the 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 corporate special, as it was, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely just about the most appalling piece of hardware i have ever had the misfortune to use now it's not a great laptop but it's on a par with most windows um corporate laptops you know bit plastic bit cheap but you know 80 minute battery 80 80 minute battery if you're lucky but (laughs) it, it is it just has no reception i remember sitting i had a meeting just near trafalgar square which obviously is in the center of london and you know Trafalgar Square, you you could be fair to say, is actually pretty well covered in mobile phone signal. And I had, you know, five bars of signal on, on all my phones on various networks. And this Dell thing wouldn't connect at all, you know, to, to a network that even a even a phone could get five bars of signal on. It was absolutely just horrendous. So I agree with you about the um I agree with you about the the Good idea. Yeah, yeah, the good the good idea is connecting everything up and connecting them to mobile phone networks. But I don't think you're quite right about whose fault it is because it's not just the operator's lack of imagination. It was actually those equipment providers couldn't do a good job of integrating mobile connectivity when given the chance. Okay. See, I think I you're both that. wrong, and you're not being radical enough. <laughs> Rafe Black the radical. And actually, this is something that Apple talked about in the past: the idea of a kind of programmable SIM or a software yes. SIM. Uh, so you're talking about a single operator. What I really want to do is be able to buy the device and then choose which operator I use based on all the ones available in whichever market I'm in and perhaps extending that to when you go abroad. We've seen various companies talk about this and the idea of this and, you know, Truephone are sort of doing something similar for roaming and other companies have come up with the idea. It's, it's not new, but I would really like the idea of buying a device and perhaps even you know if i agree to use a certain network for a certain amount of time i then get a subsidy back or there'll be ways of sort of fitting it into the existing way the business models work but just that idea that you don't have to go and buy a sim from a specific operator you know it's just in there with the device and i, I still want to be able to swap sims in and out but surely it must be possible to have kind of a blank sim that can then become whatever you want it to be but, but Ewan, in this in this Nirvana world that you're talking about, what is it apart from a laptop? What is it that would be connected to the mobile network that you want to buy? I, I just I think I just wanted to see more ubiquity. Uh, it's not, uh, and I actually want to be surprised. Um, photo frames, for example, I, it, I, I, this stuff needs to be really simple, really cool. Is it worthwhile selling a TV with an integrated 4G? connection or not is that just silly or would that actually be rather convenient for people 
Well, it's all the machine-to-machine stuff, and there's a big market in the consumer segment, as you're talking about there. I mean, you might extend that to home automation as well. Mm. Wouldn't it be great if you could have a simple module that you could plug in? And you could start it, you know, the whole home, or you could use something just as simple as, can you turn on the outside lights by sending a text message? That's, you know, it's possible to do it at the moment, oh, but there's just that? no join up thinking. at and are, are starting to do that with some of their home automation stuff. But actually, the bigger part of that is in the business world, sort of, uh, having machines reporting in, reporting faults. Um, or it's the idea of a, you know, your washing machine, your electricity meter could send data automatically back to the provider so you wouldn't have to take readings of your electricity meeting, for example. Yeah. And that machine-to-machine stuff is going to require a sort of some of this stuff to come in. And, and to be fair, it's starting to happen, but it, it does kind of worry me what will happen in this space given the kind of problems we've had trying to get it to work on you know laptops and everything else and the, the one time it has worked which is something like the kindle with uh, amazon doing the deal where you get the 3g kindle and you mm. get free data it's because they've been able to effectively impose it top down and there haven't been too many stakeholders involved and that's kind of what worries me about all this machine to machine stuff it's going to be very tricky to get everyone to agree to do it especially when the operators tend to behave in a fairly intransigent manner in in a word ewan because we're almost it's almost race turn um have the operators missed the boat uh, yeah. Yes. There we go. So that's it. They're, they're, that, they're, <laughs> that's it. Job. Okay. Job well, okay. What word do you want me to say? Quite possibly with a hyphen. No, no, no. I, th- I think yes is a good answer. But I was, I was going to dive in with a follow-up question, which is. All right. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking because everything, because everything does Wi-Fi. So thinking about Rafe's thing now, you've got um, most tablets are now sold. Wi-Fi connection. There are some. There are some tablets that have 3G connections in. But if you look at the sales numbers, most tablets are Wi-Fi. Most home automation mm. gear is Wi-Fi. Most consumer electronics are That's Wi-Fi. That's a response to the reality, isn't it? They're all Wi-Fi because it's too expensive and too annoying to it, think about uh, a SIM card. And it could have all just been on the the network. And, oh, they could have done it really easily, completely pays you go, but smart pays you go, ten quid for X. They could have done a lot here, but yeah, you can see it in the store. I stand there routinely when I'm in a car from warehouse or even a, an operator store, and you hear someone they're about to buy a tablet. They've got a phone, they want to buy a tablet, and the guy says, "Oh yeah, and you got to pay a ten or you know twenty four quid a month for this as well." And they go, "What? Another SIM card? All right, no, 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 no. I'll just have the Wi-Fi one, which of course the operator doesn't sell." Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, it is just silly, really silly. They could have really fixed this. I, I remember you and I, you and I went to an operator presentation once, and I forget which operator it was, but they had it. it they had a picture on the display that showed like a, a looked like a sort of a Best Buy or a, a high street consumer electronics shop, and they wanted their shops to be full of connected devices, basically. And I think they even had radios and car stereos, and you know, you name it. On the on the slide as connected devices and um, yeah, it's I think the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all those sorts of things work around that blocker. There we go. Rafe Blanford, what's your pitch for the best worst thing? Well, uh, it's going to be piling on the operators again, and it's really talking about the model of uh, services that they applied. And this is something that started to go away now, but. If we think back a few years, it was the idea that operators would be able to provide you with a whole bunch of really useful services on top of your basic talk time and data. I think probably best typified by 
Vodafone 360. Oh, and, yeah. you know, it, it sounded like this sort of ideal utopia where everything would work seamlessly and wonderful. And it made a lot of sense because operators kind of had that identity piece already sorted out and still do. But the reality turned out to just be so horrible. Can I just stop you there, Rafe? Because in, in no vision of utopia in my mind was it ever built by a man from Vodafone, just for the record. Okay, um, but I think you could extend this more generally to talking about the model of services being provided by one organisation, and you can look at the way Nokia tried to do services with Ovi. You know, it's an all-or-nothing approach, and actually, in a way, uh, Apple and Google and all the ecosystems now make the same mistake. It's kind of this assumption that people are quite happy to buy everything from one company, and it's the Sony lifestyle in devices as well. And it just seems to me that this is a, a missed opportunity. And I might um, sort of bring in a, a biology metaphor and ecology metaphor here that if you think about the way all this stuff works, you know, you've got your various layers. It's like a coral reef, one thing built on top of another. And the healthiest, best coral reefs are the ones made up of millions of different things rather than one monolithic entity. And so, I mean, this idea that you should have services on top of mobile, and you can think about any of them, it, it's brilliant. It makes so much sense. But when it actually comes down to it, all the various implementations I've seen of it, you know, we're still kind of waiting for this revolution to arrive, it seems like. You know, we're all using bits of it, but it just feels like it's under-delivered completely uh, thus far. And so that's why, for me, it's kind of the best idea, but it's actually the, the worst implementation to remember uh, when we're talking about Vodafone 360, this was I uh, was 2009, yeah, um, and that was a time when really people were just beginning to do uh, to use their phones for data, um, and we were getting the unlimited data or fair use data was becoming prevalent, and you know the the concept that Vodafone had, you know, in high level sounded wonderful because it was they were saying things that first of all we know where you are, um, and if you allow us we can organise your photos. Right, so any photo you take on your Vodafone 360 device, we'll upload it for free because we own the network um, to your Vodafone 360 picture store, um, and then we'll group them by location uh, because we know the location of cell mass, so we can do that for you. Uh, and then you can share them with our network, other users, and so on. And we'll back up your phone, we'll back up this, we'll do that. Yeah, you know, it's getting quite exciting. The 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 the, the potential. The actual reality, I think that's the problem. And um, you're right, you don't want it defined by a guy from Vodafone. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Plenty of reading, by the way, if you do Vodafone 360 Mobile Industry Review, and you'll get my an absolute failure post. That That's a nice, that was December 6th. There you go. 2009. It, How many years ago was that? I think the issue that it was comes down... Was that only down. four years ago? Four yeah. years ago, 2009. There you go. I think the issue comes down to the idea that one company can do everything really well and exactly how people want it. And the reality is there's more than one way to implement any service. So, you know, you've got uh, photo geeks maybe want to use something like SmugMug or others will want to use Flickr and some people just want to upload their photos onto Facebook. And so you mix and match together and trying to, you know, specialise on those services and even create the different services of such a wide variety of services is really difficult for one company. So uh, my turn, because we're almost out of time, uh, I think my, my pitch for the best worst idea is mobile wallets. What that? What's that? I hear you say, that's a brilliant idea, Ben. How can you be so down on mobile wallets? And I'm... I think mobile wallets are the best worst idea because they don't actually really 
work or exist properly um, for years and years and years we've been going to trade shows and presentations with um, banks or payment providers or uh, financial services companies showing these demonstrators these prototypes where if you have an you know a phone from this network or from this provider and you've got this type of bank account and you load them all up in their particular pilot and you go to that one particular chain of sandwich shop and you happen to catch big dave who's the one guy who knows how the payment terminals work uh, subway. well you know whatever whatever right. sandwich shop you go to i forget but you know it, it it just hasn't delivered at all. And it's looking increasingly desperately like people um, in the financial services world trying to uh, trying to engineer a niche, trying to engineer a need, it's easy for me to say, uh, where, where none exists. Because actually, if you look at the world, some of the world's larger um, mobile payments pieces, and particularly in the UK and North America, the people who have been most successful with mobile payments have been um, Starbucks, to the best of my knowledge, who mm. allow you to pay for your um, pay for your coffee uh, with, a, with with an app, which basically just replicates your kind of your your card, your prepay card, um, and the whole appeal there is nothing to do with real really with mobile payments. It's about collecting um, loyalty points and and the the sort of the, the loyalty benefits around the service, and the the, the card is just a um, the card is just a benefit, and again, it's it's not mission critical, and it doesn't have all of those kind of things in that are supposed to mean that you could continue to make payments when your phones run out of juice because it's you know it's just a sort of a convenience measure. Um, I know there are mobile wallets out there in some countries and some mobile payment providers, and I know in emerging markets there are you know mobile or e-cash systems working really well. But I'm talking about these um, ones targeted to you know Europe and North America, which are intended to replace credit cards. Cards, and frankly they are still vaporware yeah you're right ben because if you think about the big ones like isis in the states which has almost become a watchword for being a, a bit of a joke and then you actually try and use one of these things and i think we've all tried them out at various times i think and, I, isis is just proof that the way to kill a good idea is with the phrase operator consortium <laughs> well, I, I think that is true, but it's also a technology problem, isn't it? Because you know we've tried to use NFC for various payment trials and things like that, and it just ends up being complicated and not working. And it's just easy to pull your card out your wallet and use that. I mean, it's clear if you look at it, the idea of replacing your wallet, not having to have it with you, you know, this thick, thick thing sticking in your pocket and just being able to do it with your phone, great. But when it actually comes down to it. You know, walking into the shop and just pulling out your card is a lot quicker and especially as these cards themselves now tend to have contactless payments although i did have the pretty irritating experience of trying to pay for something and then going oh well you have to tell me you want to pay for it contactless so i can press the right button on the till and that was actually with a card but the same thing happens on mobile and that's where you sort of despair at technology this idea of mobile wallets it's great but it requires such a huge buy not just from getting the handsets working but then making it all work on the vendor side you know with the shops and wherever you happen to be and i've honestly become a lot more skeptical about it and it's hard to see it working without there being you know a push and as you say it works in starbucks because of that loyalty angle and until the mobile wallets can really start to have a a big advantage, you know, being able to do something interesting with the billing or with the loyalty bit or discount vouchers. It's very hard to see it coming in, especially when there's no universality with it. You know, the reason cards work is you can use them anywhere. That's very rarely true of any mobile wallet system. 
And the payment process is pretty quick as well. The other thing that the Starbucks one allows for is the fact that you've got time to fire up the app and scan it because the process of making you your coffee takes, you know, long enough and taking your order takes long enough that you know you in a very busy store you maybe won't be too popular if you if you frustrate but it's not like trying to pave walking through a turnstile or you know make a transact a very quick transaction which often you know often uh, people have been trying to replace particularly like transport operators and stuff but mcleod you did you did some mobile payment stuff with Mm. jamalto didn't you i did jamalto the sim card manufacturer and, and credit card manufacturer they they sent me out a uh an s3 i think it was samsung with an integrated uh contact with sim card in it and uh put some credit on it and said use it for a week or so and i did and it's called the contactless challenge if you google it uh mobile Lens review and it was frustrating and exciting and elating i managed to buy some shoelaces with my phone <laughs> this is the future um, kids you heard it, heard it here first well, I went into the Timpson, the little, the, you know, that kind of shoe shoppy, what are they called? Cobblers. Cobblers. <laughs> um, and because they, they had a contactless payment thing, and I just put down my phone. Amazing. Uh, really cool. And uh, actually, a, quite a liberating experience just walking about with the phone going tap. You can use it in Pret, use it at McDonald's. Um, so, 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 where, so where, can, where can I get that now then? When, when did that launch? Yes, yes, no. yes. That's the problem. That's the issue. They haven't actually done, as far as I'm aware, actually had launched any of this stuff because Jamalto, they're just the manufacturer of this stuff, right? They, they need the high street banks or, or, or the operators or both to do something with this. Orange have done some stuff. If uh, only consumers this. would just need this. It's just thoughtlessness. <laughs> Listen, it was really pretty cool. I did enjoy doing it. I did enjoy the experience, and it didn't depend on the battery. That was important. Uh, the battery was useful if you have a battery, or if you have a decent battery in your phone, because you can actually interact with the the onboard app to see what you've bought and so on. Uh, but you could actually still use it memory serves with with the battery off. Quite useful. Um, but I did like it. But there were I had a few problems. For example, the um, the readers, the the contactless readers in Marks and Spencers just didn't work. And you do end up looking a little bit of an arse or an ass or a KNOB okay. um, when you are uh, standing there with a queue of people behind you and you're trying, you're, you're waving your phone all across the flipping reader to try and get it to work. Uh, it doesn't look very good. So no. you're saying there's a social stigma attached to it? <laughs> Only when it doesn't work. When it does work, you look really, really cool. Well, I think- you look cool because you're waving your phone about. Yeah, he's well, got tap. Done I think I think we'll let the we'll let the listeners decide whose who, whose best worst idea was the best worst one. But I think I I think I'm pretty strong. I think it was Ian's. Well, I, that was pretty good. But actually, I think my one was pretty strong on account of at least your ideas actually got made. My 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 one was so appalling it hasn't even launched yet. <laughs> so so there we go. Okay, guys. So um, we should um, quickly wrap up with some listeners' letters. Um, Hold no, on a minute. That, what? It's safe in the knowledge that they haven't won anything. Well, the, no, no prizes. No prizes this week because only one person can win every week, and this week Ian won. Oh, you might as well stop ex- listening then. But we have to acknowledge that well, your name is Ian and you're Scottish and you've won a phone. Don't bother <laughs> listening now. From now on. Well, but we've got we've got some uh, we've got two uh, excellent emails about our security 
uh, episode that I just wanted to read out because they right. were they were really good. And everyone else's emails are still in the big queue. And much like Ian, who emailed us ages ago, you know, we will we will pick them up and use them as a, as as they come in and as they become relevant. And and anyway, I know the listeners like to write to us not just for the prizes, but also for the pleasure of hearing their ideas crudely reproduced and and misunderstood and then badly answered. So I know they I know they enjoy that. So um, we've got one, um, two, two emails just very quickly. No, no prizes, but big thanks. Um, Alistair, Har- Alistair Harding um, wrote in and um, he said he's worked in um, IT security for a while and he was pleased that we discussed, we discussed security. So there we go, guys. Um, he was very pleased. Um, but he says um, people focus mostly on confidentiality, uh, thinking that that's the biggest area of risk. However, he's not convinced. He thinks that um, actually, one of the biggest risks to, to security actually is availability, one of the other aspects of um, of security, and that loss of service uh, is just as big a, an issue of um, just as big an issue as actually having your data compromised, either somebody deliberately preventing you from getting it or um, or it being destroyed uh, accidentally. So, and I think that's absolutely right. He was um, he was mentioning. Um, have you heard about this crypto locker malware? Ooh. Do you know what that is? Rayful know what this is. This was the sort of fake app scam, wasn't it? Well, he, he, as he's explained it, and the way I heard it, it's when um, it's when uh, people hold your data to ransom. They secure your data in some way, perhaps by locking your disk or by securing it in an application, and then charge you a ransom fee to let your data out. Yeah, it's kind of the equivalent of the you've got a virus on your system. Please download and install this virus thing. Except it's actually really nice because it really does hold your data to ransom. Um, and it can lock up your address book or various other bits of data and won't let you get it. In theory, you can get around these things most of the time. They'll say, you know, there's a, a £10 charge or however much it happens to be. And I'd agree. It's actually this kind of, you know, we think about data and the clouds as sort of solving a problem. It's always going to be safe, but things do go wrong. And it's not just with service providers. It can be with the you know, the access itself. And I think, yes, it's not something I thought about, but I would agree wholeheartedly. You only need to think about how useful your phone becomes when there's no SIM card in it. And then if that can happen you know, through your own fault, it can also happen another way. And what that means. There we go. And a final email and a very quick one uh, from Jason Snowden. Do you think he's a relation of Edward? I don't know. Probably not. Um, anyway, he emailed, he emailed in and he pointed to a Reuters article actually about the way that Osama bin Laden was tracked down. And he, he was saying, actually, um, do you not think that uh, an interesting case in point with regards to uh, monitoring by authorities that actually to not use these services to not um, make yes, phone calls yes, actually is now considered suspicious because they're so part of everyday life that actually opting out of using these things could draw more surveillance on you and he would say I, I, I wasn't aware of this actually but the Reuters article he sent the link to actually points out that um, the the lack of phone lines the lack of... Um, yeah, the place any, was dark wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, the, yeah. that's the word I was searching for, yeah the fact it was dark was, um, was, was really suspicious so can I ask you a quick question on that? Do you think that the guy in Enemy of the, of the State, you know, the not Will Smith, the other guy? Uh, the fellow who lives in the cage, yeah. um, whose name... Oh, Off the grid. Yes. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. Thank Do you, you think Google. he would then be actually living with eight phones and texting random stuff about shopping lists and stuff? There we go. You know, yeah. So that he can hide from the authorities. 
Yes, actually, that's a good point. Yes, I think you're. I think you're right. So you actually have to hide in the in the in the mess, in the nonsense, and not be dark. That's how you actually get anonymity. That's easy for you to say. Yes. Although Rafe, to, to be fair, I don't think the the article was uh, or our podcast was actually um, advocating ways to avoid government surveillance. We were just talking about the lessons to be learned from. Yeah. Or from or you could take a leaf out of Blanford's uh, book and just live in Sussex. This is true, where no electronic signals manage to egress or ingress at all. Mm. On, on so account Sussex of is dark, right? Because right, yeah. obviously the last part of this uh, Skype connection is coming through a pair of tin cans. Yeah, that's right, that's right. I, th- I, thought you had, I thought you had your butler relaying the ones and noughts manually over the hill. Silver service. And oh, that's white a, actually, Rafe, at the end of the email, Jason says, um, what happened to Rafe at the end of the last podcast? He just he seemed to disappear without saying a word. Um, what, what Jason is very politely saying is, Ben, you did a really rubbish job of editing the end of the last podcast where you hatcheted <laughs> out 10 minutes of conversation because it, it ran so long. And yes, Jason, that's entirely my fault. Rafe was very much there, uh, I'm afraid, just some of the conversation at the end of last week. Hit I'm the deck. A, I'm just the first one to get edited or I've got so upset about all the uh, lovely comments made by my fellow host <laughs> that I'm grinding my teeth and the microphone doesn't always pick that up. That's a, some none or all of the above you choose. Right, guys, we should wrap this up. Thank you, uh, thank you both to uh, Jal- uh, Jason and Alistair for their letters. Apologies, no prizes for you guys this week, but um, much, uh, much gratitude for writing in. And please do keep letters, emails. Actually, don't write to us on paper. Uh, just, just emails, uh, Facebook, all those kinds of things. You can get us um, all the com- all the com- ways to contact us are at three six one podcast dot com. We're obviously at three six one podcast uh, on Twitter, and we're also on the Facebooks and the Google Plus. But don't use it because it just encourages them. Um, well, thank you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Lots of love. Yeah. Well, and we'll, next week we'll try and be back face to face for all the uh, mm. all the usual magic. Uh, so we'll we'll get back to the the usual feel and we we'll do away with uh, with all this Skype nonsense. But uh, thank you because this is my fault this week for being super busy and being super away in the office. So there we go. Right, Joyce. Thank you very much, and I'll speak to you next week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can comment, subscribe and catch up with previous episodes at 361podcast.com. If you're an iTunes user, we'd be jolly grateful for a five-star review. There's a link and pictures of how to rate the show at 361podcast.com slash rate. Each review makes it lots easier for new listeners to find us. 